This is episode 12 of Cinescope, and it'll be easier next time. Welcome to Cinescope, where our goal is not to criticize or to assign ratings, but rather to celebrate the movies we love exploring story, characters, music, and relevance to the world around us. I'm your host, Chad Hopkins, and joining me today is Blake Collier to talk about one of our favorite films, The Strangers. But first, Blake, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. How about you, Chad? I'm doing really well, and I'm excited to talk about the podcast's first horror movie. Oh, yeah. I'm excited, too. I'm, I'm glad I'm your uh, first horror guy. So Definitely. And this is our first of two Halloween horror episodes. This week, we've got The Strangers, and next week, we've got my personal favorite, The Shining. Awesome. I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to both, but The Strangers is especially special to me, and I'll talk about that more in a minute. But first, how about you introduce yourself? My name is Blake Collier. I actually hail from Amarillo, Texas in the Panhandle. So I am uh, in the middle of nowhere. If you look out in the horizon, you can see the back of your own head. And I write for Real World Theology and I contribute for Mockingbird, as well as I do three podcasts, The Smell of Music, which is exploring the worst music we can find, (laughs) Uh, Impossible to Say, which is basically just the music of the week podcast. And then The Body, The Blood, which is the horror podcast that I do. So uh, I do all those things. I write for various other places as well, just whenever I get a chance. And uh, I mainly focus uh, specifically on horror and Christianity. Uh, That's kind of the uh, niche I found myself in. And I feel like I've got a lot of interesting takes on it. And so that's kind of where I've kind of landed myself. Great. Well, um, I'm actually a Texan too, and I went to school out in Lubbock. So, I mean, that's still a few hours away, but uh, I was not too far from Amarillo for a little while. Okay. Are you a uh, Red Raider? I am a Red Raider. Uh, Reckham Tech. uh, Me too. Reckham Tech. (laughs) Oh, excellent. How about that? Well, before we move on and talk about the movie, I just want to remind everybody of our October 2016 giveaway. Um, There will be more details at the end of the episode, but basically, if you leave a review for the show, then you will be entered to win a free movie of anything we've talked about through the end of October. So definitely stick around for the end of the show so you can hear more details about possibly gaining a bonus entry as well and learning everything you need to know about that. With that, are you ready, Blake? I am. Excellent. So our movie this week is The Strangers. It was released May 30th of 2008 and was directed and written by Brian Bertino, who has also directed Mockingbird and this year's The Monster. The music is by Tom and Andy. He writes music for a lot of horror movies. A few of them have been The Hills Have Eyes 2006 remake, Resident Evil or Resident Evil Afterlife and Resident Evil Retribution, Sinister 2, and also Bertino's film this year, The Monster. This movie does star Liv Tyler and Scott Speedman as Kristen and James. And then we've got Gemma Ward, Kip Weeks, and Laura Margolis as Dollface, Man in the Mask, and Pinup Girl. So what was your first experience with this movie, Blake? So I remember I was actually at Texas Tech uh, getting my grad degree in history. And this was one of the first films I remember going to see by myself. Uh, for the longest time, I always went with somebody, but this was one I had especially wanted to see. And I don't really remember why I necessarily wanted to see it at the time, but I went and saw it. And I just recall sitting in that theater, and I'm not easily scared by a film. 
and I wouldn't say that this one necessarily scared me, but there was enough kind of element to it where I think the way the sound played out in the theater uh, with all the, the banging uh, that happens in the movie and like all the sounds, uh, it was just a very interesting sound element to, to the film. And it kind of had me looking over my shoulder because you hear something <laughs> and you're like, you know, what's going on? So I just remember it being a very interesting kind of feeling as far as sound editing went uh, for the film. And that's one of the first things I kind of kind of took on like as, as something that kind of just brought me into the film and something I'd never really paid attention to much in film before that. And this was the first one that kind of made that a significant aspect I kind of looked for. So, yeah. I'm impressed that you went and caught this in theaters by yourself. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> and, you know, I, was, I, I seriously cannot remember why I thought that would, that would be a good idea. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I mean, I've definitely gone to the theater by myself many a time, yes. but I don't know if I've ever done it for a horror film. So <laughs> that's a little bit different. Well, and it's, it's funny. I, I actually end up going to see movies mostly by myself now. And most of the movies I go see are horror films. Um, uh-huh. But like I said, I think I've only been scared by one film to where I've lost sleep over it. And it was Paranormal Activity. And I don't, I don't think that's particularly great movie, but for whatever reason, it, it scares me to death. Uh, but this one, this one got my heart racing, but I went to sleep just fine afterwards. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, my first time viewing this movie, I was a senior in high school, and uh, we had decided to go trick-or-treating that year for whatever reason for the first time since probably late elementary school, middle school, something like that. And afterwards, we decided to go back to our friend's house and we watched this movie. And this, like I said earlier, this movie is special to me because number one, it's the very first horror film I ever saw. And oh, number wow. two, okay. it's the very first rated R film I ever saw. My, my parents were a little bit strict about that when I was growing up. And so it just wasn't And it wasn't even really anything I had a certain appeal for was rated R movies. It was just something that I never watched. And so this was my first one on both accounts. And, you know, I don't scare easily on films or horror movies either. I I discovered with this film and probably part of that experience could be attributed to I found out my best friend scares very easily with these kind of films. So there was probably more (laughs) laughter that night than there typically would be in a movie like this, uh, just enjoying his reactions to what was going on on screen. But I did really like this movie because even though I don't scare easily myself, I can recognize when something is scary, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, it just doesn't affect me the same way as it affects other people. And it does freak me out in the sense that even though it's not scary to me in the moment, I have this sort of fear that certain images will linger and like give me nightmares later or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that, that fear has so far been unfounded, but it still freaks me out every time I watch a horror movie. Like uh, I got, I got to be kind of careful about this. That being said, when I watched this last night, it was one thirty in the morning and I was oh. sitting in a room wearing surround sound headphones. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, I turned out fine. I slept fine just <laughs> last night, but that, that was my experience rewatching it last night. And I had a great time with it. There were a couple of moments where I sort of hesitated. I was like, you know, should I turn this off and finish it before we record tomorrow? I, I don't I don't know. No, let's just go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I stuck it out and uh, really had a good time with it. Well, it is, it, it is kind of strange that because one of my biggest fears, uh, actual fears, is opening up a window or a doorway and finding something or someone on the other side. Um, which happens a lot in this film. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure why it didn't hit me with the same kind of, um, I guess, veracity that like seeing the alien on the roof of the barn and signs did. 
uh, that freaked me out that scene. But for some reason, the the elements in the strangers where you know faces would pop up uh, at a window or at a glass doorway. I guess it just I was either not paying attention to that at the moment, and I was like too busy like listening to what's going on. But yeah, it was it, it was strange because normally that kind of stuff would would creep me out. So. Mm-hmm. And we can go ahead and move on to the story and like actual aspects of making the film. The first thing I want to say is what makes this story so or this movie so terrifying to most people, I would say, is that it's real. Like yeah. this is this is as real as a horror movie gets. This is home invasion. It could be you. It's just a scary thought to think, wow, these guys did this just because they were home. Mm-hmm. And that could have been me. I I'm home. I'm home alone or whatever. And the idea that you can be terrorized just randomly and it's not by demons or monsters, it's by people. Yeah. And that that's just a sort of terrifying thought. I've, I've got a friend who is, uh, who can do supernatural horror all day long, but the second it's actually realistic and deals with people torturing other people, he's out. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, it's a difficult thing to watch. I mean, there's that element to a film like strangers that, like in the back of your head, kind of what we all do or what we all tend to do is kind of think of worst case scenario for home alone. What's the worst thing that could happen to us? And usually it's like what we consider the safest place to be being invaded. I mean, the home is kind of like that, that, uh, cultural space that's supposed to be safe. And it's supposed to be the thing that you can hide in and, and seclude yourself in and not be bothered or not be um, kind of you're kind of in a space where you're you're okay and you're you're safe. But strangers finds these people transgressing that cultural space, and it's it's very intriguing in that way. I think that's kind of what people love about home invasion films is because it is frightening mm-hmm. uh, and it transgresses those kind of uh, elements. Right. The idea that you're not safe in your own home. Yeah, exactly. And it definitely does make the dark corners of my house a little bit scarier late at night. For sure. The <laughs> <laughs> uh, TV shows like uh, Criminal Minds is the one of the few crime shows I watch. And that, that show does the same thing if I've watched too many episodes in a row where I, I'm like, uh, these people, I, I'm, I've gotten in their heads and now they're in my head. And I, I just sort of need to calm down a little bit and in the meantime, carry a flashlight. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> The Strangers definitely does that for me as well. Oh, for sure. Um, and the, the scares in this film, I think, are so effective, even even when they're just scares for the audience. You know, there are moments, uh, the very first time we see the person in the mask, uh, the man in the mask, is in the background while Liv Tyler's character is just standing in the kitchen. And we see him just standing in the background. He sort of cocks his head to the side as he's watching her. And he sort of, sort of slowly creeps forward and all of a sudden the camera turns around so we don't see where he is anymore. Mm-hmm. We're sort of freaking out because we don't know, even though she has no idea, we know that he's there. And so we're sort of, our, our heart's pounding and the camera cuts back and he's gone. Yeah. And she's still safe, but we know he was there for a moment. And so that the, the way they build tension that way is very, very well done. There are several moments like that where the, the scares are just effectively set up. Yes. Well, and it, it's it's effectively set up, and it's not cheap. Uh, I feel like a lot of horror films these days uh, kind of vie for the cheap jump scare, and this one just ratchets up the tension uh, for the whole film. And eventually, I mean, you you will get those jump scares occasionally just to satisfy kind of that 
visceral need uh, in the moment. But most of the time, it's more about building up like the sense of foreboding. You know, where is where are they? You know, are they like together? Are they on separate parts of the house? Um, you know, who's inside? Who's outside? It's just you. You're so disoriented within you know, this house. And I think it's interesting. I think one of my favorite parts about the film is exactly how he's able to give us the floor plan of the house. I mean, I think if by the end of the movie, everyone can draw a pretty simple floor plan of that house. It's a traditional kind of ranch style house. And he intentionally was uh, willing to kind of lay out the space that the horror was going to take place in in order that, you know, we are comfortable with the characters. We can say, well, I feel like if I was in that situation, I could go into this room or go into that room and, and hide or whatever. I just think he does an excellent job of spatially kind of setting up this this movie. And that's probably one of my favorite things about the about the film overall. And I think that the the use of camera in this film is very well done too. It's handheld and because it's not like Captain America Civil War where it's just high intensity action, mm -hmm. the the subtlety of the camera movement because it's handheld isn't bad. And in fact, it can sometimes raise the tension because he'll put it in these like hidden areas where you're almost definitely viewing the main characters from the perspective of one of the masked people hiding in the shadows. Yeah. And the fact that they can't see you, the, the main characters can't see you, adds that extra level of tension because you are viewing it from the perspective of the bad guys and uh the the handheld camera the subtle shake also sometimes allows your eyes to play tricks on you so the little pan over the forest and because it's a little shaky you think oh oh what was that what was that and maybe in that particular shot nothing was there and that makes the moments when there is something there all the more sort of delicious as far as horror goes mm -hmm, for sure yeah, it's, it's interesting, you know, even on, like, you think of chase scenes in, in horror films, and I remember the part in the film when Liv Tyler or, or Kristen uh, McKay is crawling away from the shed, and I believe it's the pinup girl that is following behind her, but she's just walking after her. Like, it's, just, it's like this very intentional, vicious feel of a chase like she knows that this this woman cannot go anywhere so she's taking her sweet precious time and she's just casually following her right they're playing with their food yeah exactly i mean it's that's what the, that's the beauty of this film is the way it plays with people like they're there just to toy with these people until the very end and i feel like that's even more cruel of uh, of kind of a setup than most of like what you would consider to be, you know, uh, what they call torture porn. I feel like that's more viscerally viscerally unsettling than any kind of gore that can be done. I agree, and you know, personally, when it comes to horror films, I I don't care for the torture porn or gory movies. I I, I don't do extremely well with the sight of blood when it's gory blood, but in stuff like this, where it's all about the tension and the setup of the moment and the execution of the moment, that's when I really get into a horror film. And that's why mm -hmm. I like films like The Shining so much, which we'll talk about more next week. But The the Shining, it's just, it's all about the tension and mm -hmm. making you sort of antsy in your seat and uncomfortable. And that's what I like in a horror film. 
Yeah. I mean, it's, it's that element of suffocation uh, that you're getting. Uh, it's, it's not, not being able to breathe <laughs> in the midst of, of these, uh, these situations that you, that these people find themselves in. And yeah, I totally agree. I, I'm, I'm a little bit more apt to like certain films that, that showcase score, but it's gotta be a certain type of film. I'm not a big fan of torture porn as well, but yeah, I would take tension and kind of that slow ratchet, uh, more than I will, uh, kind of grotesquery. So. Yeah. And outside of the, the horror aspects of the film, I do want to say that I think that the sort of subtle story setup, the relationship between Kristen and James at the beginning mm-hmm. and as it progresses throughout the film is very, very well done because yes. the first time we see them, they're driving in the car. You can tell that she's been crying. Her, her face is still wet with tears and he obviously looks like he's not in the greatest of moods either. And slowly but surely we get little tidbits of information of what's been going on. We get a flashback. Well, even before the flashback, they get back to the house and there's rose petals everywhere and there's champagne and there's this uncomfortable tension in their their conversation and then we get the flashback that reveals oh this is a failed proposal and the 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 setup of that aspect of the story and sort of latching us onto these characters from the beginning so we do care a little bit about the situation they're they're not having the greatest night to begin with when this all happens to them and uh outside of the horror that is very well done yes it was it was a very good way to kind of introduce the characters in a rather short period of time because there's not a whole lot of time in this film that isn't kind of based within the horror of the of the actual film but he does a good job at kind of giving us enough emotional ties to james and and Kristen to make us actually care about what happens to them so yeah i i totally agree with that do you have any more aspects of the story or the filmmaking that you want to talk about um, so for like twists, I, I found that the, um, the scene where the friend is shot is particularly unsettling. Um, oh, definitely just because you, you think about it and you're like, you're so wound up in the anxiety of, of, of being invaded, like potentially getting, you know, killed and you're literally shooting at anything that moves because at that point it's kind of you know, that, that mentality of like, you know, night of the living dead, you know, they're all coming to this one place. So you better just get your gun out and start shooting. And unfortunately the one time he actually does get a chance to shoot, it's his best friend. And the look on his face when he realizes like the person I just shot didn't have a mask on, you see it in his face. And I think Scott Speedman, I don't think he's the greatest actor ever, but I feel like in this film, he gave it his all. I was impressed with how he kind of just the look of absolute like terror on his face when he realized what he did. It was very affecting. And I thought it was a nice twist. Um, and you know, it's, it's one of those things where you, you're just not expecting it and it happens very quickly. And at that point you're like, everything is, you know, everything is off the table. Anything could happen at this point. It's the one thing that the strangers sort of didn't plan for. It's the one thing they weren't in control. And so the moment Mike shows up and sort of throws a wrench in their plans, you know he's screwed. Exactly. And so in that that moment leading up to the gunshot, you see the man in the mask creeping up behind with an axe. You know that James and Kristen are waiting in the closet with a gun. And so you just, you're waiting to see how this guy is going to go because you know it's going to happen. Yes. And 
that that tension as he slowly walks down the hallway and you're you're saying hey why don't you just shout something say something so that they can hear and that they know it's you and it, it's a moment where you really feel desperate for the characters i think yeah for sure and yeah that's that's really the only other spot uh, that's the biggest uh twist i think in the film that that is noticeable and, and is really uh just mind-blowing in a lot of ways so yeah i do want to mention uh just the the strangers don't have a whole lot of dialogue. In fact, they probably have what four lines total outside of the initial door knocks. Mm-hmm. There's you're gonna die. There's because you were home. There's are you a sinner sometimes, and then there's it'll be easier next time. And it's just like oh, every single one of those is so perfect in the yes, moment. Like the dialogue from those characters specifically, they could have said a lot more in this film, but I think it would have taken away from the terror. You know, it's almost sort of Jaws-esque where in Jaws, you don't see a lot of the shark. And that makes the moments you do see the shark and the the tension when you know he's coming all the more terrifying. And I think there's a little bit of that element here where we don't see them all the time. When we do see them, it's terrifying. And then we, they, they don't talk all the time. But in those moments where we do, we really loathe them because yeah. they're revealing that their motive for this night was to have fun mm-hmm. and to screw with some people. Yeah. No, I I actually think that that's one of the strengths of the film is their lack of dialogue and the lack of... Because you, you don't see their faces except for maybe a slightly obscured or shadowed face uh, from time to time. And even when they take off their masks, the camera moves away before you can actually see what they look like. And it's just brilliant on Bertino's part to keep us in the the realm of the unknown. Uh, I think that's effective in the sense that, you know, it adds to that sense for the audience going home and saying, who are these people? Like, they could be anybody. And that is truly unsettling. <laughs> No, for sure. Uh, Let's talk about the characters specifically. So I think the protagonists are well-written in this film because I never, I can't think of any moments where I was like, wow, that was a stupid decision. Mm -hmm. I think that all of their actions were pretty justified either out of it was the normal reaction or it was a moment of desperation. Yeah. So I, I, I really appreciate that he made these characters' choices believable in the context of a horror film because so many times you say, oh, why did you do that? Why are you going down mm-hmm. into that room? Why aren't you just staying where you are? What, why, why are you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? And that's such a, a sort of like a trope of horror films, but mm-hmm. this one, it doesn't buy into those. It's, it's two people having a crappy night reacting believably to the situation they're put in and unfortunately it just doesn't go their way yeah no doubt no i I totally agree and i i think i mean while while i think you're supposed to relate and have emotional ties to uh to the two protagonists i feel like it's the it's the three masked uh people that i find to be the most compelling of the film which is odd because like you said they don't say much and really all of their action is threatening and i think it's just the nature of knowing you know seeing this film several times knowing a little bit of the background going in like in the making of the film i mean if you look at pictures of the three people who play uh the (laughs) those who are invading uh the house they're all pretty much models right (laughs) <laughs> well, I think Gemma Ward was actually in uh, the fourth parts of the Caribbean movie as a mermaid, if I remember correctly. Okay, I could see, yeah, I could see that. I could see that. But they're all very attractive people, and which 
is kind of ironic and it's kind of funny. And I kind of like, well, I'm, I'm looking at that. I'm like, that's, that's kind of brilliant on kind of an extra textual level in that he's intentionally hiding these people's looks from the audience when in, when most films and most horror films kind of overexpose the audience to uh, women and men who are, who are good looking and uh, show them, you know, completely nude or whatever. And I just think that it's, it's interesting that he chose to do that and to hide them in every single way he could uh, and, and never give us a glimpse. I, th- I think it's just compelling. Like they're compelling characters because for one, like I said earlier, they could be anybody, and that's the way he sets it up. But also, it's just they're like a compelling analog of the unknown or kind of the darkness of humanity. And they're relentless. And they do it because they want to. And they do it because they're having fun. And that level of chaotic human nature is probably the most frightening thing that you can come in contact with. And I just find that interesting. Right. They're, they represent sort of the worst of humanity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's another podcast I listen to called Sword and Scale, and it's a true crime podcast. And the intro to that show is we talk about how the real monsters are all around us. And that's sort of exactly what this film is. These people, they're just, they're out there. And there are people who would do this. Sure, this is inspired by a true story that isn't exactly this story. But it's not outside the realm of believability that this could and might have happened somewhere. And the fact that they could have been anybody and the fact that the people portraying these people are super attractive. And, you know, it, we sort of have this mindset in America, at least, that the people who are sort of socially outcast yeah. are the ones who would, are more likely to do this kind of act. And this isn't that isn't the case at all with these three people. They they are like you said, attractive people outside of the film. And so knowing that it doesn't have to be the person you would expect mm-hmm. adds to that level of terror. Yes, for sure. You know, it's, it, it's interesting. I, I feel like Liv Tyler and Scott Speedman, um, I, I like both of them as actors, but I think it's interesting how Bertino chose to place them in the gauntlet of this film because uh, most of this most of the interior shots of of uh, the house are done in a sound studio and he would literally put them in the house and random staff would go around and like scratch on a wall or hit the wall and Liv Tyler and Scott Speedman would not know where it's coming from so that what you're seeing on the screen is actually them reacting to actual sounds that they don't know where it's coming from and I tell you what, if you want to see great acting, you just put them in a situation where they have to react as they normally would. And you can tell it it works really well on the screen and and it pays off in so many ways. Uh, And I think you get a lot of kind of true, very transparent reaction uh, going from the actors in this. And, And I think that kind of makes them more relatable to the audience. Yeah, I completely agree. And that's actually something I meant to mention earlier. And you actually mentioned it before, too, was the sound editing in this film is just fantastic. It is. Because the use of sound in developing the tension and executing the scares is like 80% of the film. Mm -hmm. A lot of it is visual, but so much of it is sound. There's that one moment before, well, James has left to go get cigarettes and go for a drive. She is by herself at the house and 
this is where the, the first moment where she's really sort of terrorized right before he gets home and there's sounds at the door there's people at the window there's scratches there's wind chimes there's all these sounds going on around her and she eventually sort of just cowers in the bedroom and slices her hand on the lamp and she's just terrified and the record starts playing and so you know that they're in the house and the the use of sound in developing these scares is just as important as the visual elements and i'm glad i remembered to go back and talk about that a little bit more because it, it is so good in this film yeah and i think i think this is just a perfect storm of of really thoughtful filmmaking in that bertino had an eye out for not just doing your typical horror film he he wanted to attack you visually and he wanted to attack you auditorily and he does both very successfully and and i you know the, the scene you mentioned where she's in the kitchen and the man in the mask uh, kind of you see his white mask coming out of the shadows of the doorway that is the most excruciating scene but it's it's almost silent when that happens mm-hmm. and so it's it's like he's intentionally messing with us if it's not just complete racket and chaos as far as sound then it's complete silence and we're just all we're all we're in tune to seeing is something in the background while the character is completely ignorant in the foreground and he just has such a great sense of space and how the sound editing is done it gives you that sense that they're actually in a space like this isn't just uh, a made-up set this is actually a these are rooms these are actual physical rooms that that sounds are coming from and it's just really interesting like I, I know a few people who didn't care for the film but even they have to say like the sound and the way he he uses the camera shots the background and foreground is just stunning agreed and I do want to say how terrifying that man in the mask mask is <laughs> exactly um, it's it's almost like a a perverted scarecrow mask from batman begins uh, exactly and that's already terrifying and this just seems like a <laughs> a step further in that direction it's just the fact that it's handmade and it's loose and it's got this weird shape to it and i don't know there's just something about that mask in particular that's especially scary it's it's actually the uh, costume I dressed up as last year for Halloween. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> so, How many people ran away um, from you in terror? Um, there were there were a few that gave me the side eye, <laughs> but that's about it. I didn't have too many uh, people run away, so that's good. <laughs> Great. Well, the last thing I really had to say about the characters is that you know because you don't understand their motivation from the beginning, it just sort of makes them all the more terrifying and their actions all the more sickening. And then when you do realize their motivation, which is just that they didn't have a motivation, they just did it for the heck of it. It just makes it even worse. And I think that makes a really fascinating villain. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like the Joker from uh, the dark Knight. and they just want to watch the world burn. Right. I actually wrote that quote down. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Same page. I'm glad to hear that. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) So let's talk about the music just a little bit. You know, I don't have a lot to say about it here. You mentioned earlier that it's sort of got a suffocating feel to this film. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you said that word, the first thing I thought of was the score to Gravity. Yes. The the space film by Alfonso Cuaron and the music by Stephen Price. That film and the music in that film is designed to just make you feel incredibly claustrophobic in that space, despite 
the setting here we have a much smaller setting but the music evokes that same sort of feel where there's a lot of like drones and scratchiness and just makes you uncomfortable you know i haven't listened to the soundtrack outside of the film because i I don't know how i would handle it outside of the film because it's bad enough there and uh it's it's just a really interesting way to approach filmmaking I, i like that it's atmospheric and that it's not trying too hard to to make itself stand out. It just really adds to what's going on. Yeah. Well, and I think it's, it's interesting because I actually did listen to the soundtrack today uh, in preparation for the, this podcast. Excellent. By itself. Um, and you know, it's funny, I'd never really paid attention to the music. Um, cause I feel like there's like two types of music that you find in horror films. There's the music that if you're not told about it, that's there, you're not cognizant of it. But I feel like unconsciously, like the scenes that are supposed to be really affecting are added to by the music. It's just that you're not like you're not separating it from the scenes themselves. And then there's the type of music like Halloween, where the music is a significant part of the film and you're cognizant of the music at all times. I feel like this is definitely of the former variety. I couldn't have told you anything about the incidental music in The Strangers even up to watching it the other night, it just, it didn't come to mind uh, what, what was going on musically. And so when I was listening to it separated today, um, I was kind of surprised at just how, how many elements are going on in the music. Cause there's, you know, dissonant strings, there's electronic elements, there's atmospheric kind of ambient elements all going on and kind of having this interplay and I'm just like, I don't remember any of this from the film. <laughs> but then at the same time, I'm like, well, maybe it's just in those moments that the music builds. I'm not paying attention to the music, but the music is actually impacting how I experience that scene. Right. It's designed to build the tension and to sort of heighten the anxiety in the moment. Exactly. So I really enjoyed actually listening to the music separated from the film because uh, it gave me a new appreciation for another element of the sound, which is the soundtrack. Um, but you know, actually when I'm watching it, I couldn't have told you the, the only thing I can tell you is what's playing on the record player. That's usually skipping <laughs> because I feel like that's for me, that is noticeably unsettling. Uh, whenever you have these songs like mama tried by Merle Haggard, or, uh, I think, let's see, what's the other one? Julian Welch, uh, my first lover and Joanna Newsom. A lot of these folk country bands and singers are being played on this record player and then you know you'll have a bang on the door and it'll scratch and it'll like start repeating it's just sickening like it's sickening in the same way uh as you get with the music from like texas chainsaw massacre which is that like high high pitched almost polaroid sound uh going on it's looped and so there's a sense of impending doom that something about something really horrible is about to happen so I, I feel like just the sound, like the soundtrack and those elements and then the sound design of the whole film work together in such a spectacular way that it's just, it's all encompassing and it's engrossing. And uh, if you don't have a visceral response to, to what's going on sound wise, then you may be deaf. <laughs> so, <laughs> also in the score there, there's one moment towards the end of the film 
uh, I think it's when they're sitting in the chairs and they've been tied to the chairs. So it's at the very end. And I think there's this sort of percussion buildup. That's, it's sort of like a culmination. We haven't really gotten this sort of driving percussion much throughout the rest of the film and the score wise. It's like a culmination of events. It's like, this is it. This is the end right here. And so I thought that was really cool. And then I also, there's one moment that I noticed of like actual melodic material. And that was right after Mike gets shot in the face. And so that's the <laughs> yeah. one moment in, in the score where it's like, okay, let's give this guy his moment. Let's mourn him with a, a sad, mournful melody. And mm-hmm. uh, it, it fits in really well there. And then like you were talking about, the use of the record player here is just another another way for them to add more terror to the film. And you know, it's not the first film, it's not the last film to use a record player to mm-hmm. build a scare but it it uses it just as effectively as say um insidious oh yeah which that scene gets me every time <laughs> so oh it does for sure <laughs> yeah. yeah no it's i i feel like uh especially in this day and age when vinyl's coming back uh record players are probably gonna come back in horror film with a with a vengeance <laughs> so yeah i've actually got a record player sitting right next to me so i've, I've got one not too far from me so yeah the the music in general both the score both the use of the record player all that is just another part of the phenomenal sound editing and mixing and all that good stuff in this movie yes i agree completely okay what about relevance so this is a little bit different just because it's a horror movie it's not necessarily teaching us a lesson like some of the other films we talk about on this podcast but what what is the takeaway from this movie for you i think it's I think it's challenging the nature of what we consider to be safety because like I was going back to what I was saying earlier about kind of this cultural idea of, of, you know, there's these spaces that we live in that we culturally and individually consider to be safe. And that's like the home or the police department or the hospital and horror has a way of, taking those those places those cultural spaces that we have of safety and transgressing them and showing us that we're never really completely safe at least not in in the way we want to think about it we're not like we're not invincible and uh i think that's what is really kind of compelling about this movie is that the home is usually the last bastion bastion of safety and if you can't be safe at your house, then you can't be safe anywhere. And so there's this interesting kind of crossing of boundaries because not only are the three villains coming into the house, but they're forcing the people who live in the house outside of the house into the unknown that's outside. It's this whole kind of interplay of like inside versus outside or internal versus external. And we kind of had this sense always that the evil and the bad is always coming from the outside when in fact it could very much be on the inside and i think that's a that's something that horror does very well to differing degrees of of effectiveness of course Uh, but i think the strangers is one of the most effective films in kind of exploring that idea right i talked about that a little bit in my notes too was it this film doesn't aim to make you more scared of the supernatural or demons or scary spaces in general, mm-hmm. this, this film aims to make you scared of your own home. Yeah. 
and the dark corners and the the things that might happen to you that you have no control over. It's it's non-supernatural. It's the real world. And man, like I said at the beginning of the show, this that's just the the most terrifying thing. It's the idea that you're not safe. And yeah, I definitely think that's one of the takeaways. And then I think that the other one that I wrote down at least was, you know, the, these strangers in the masks are just the worst of humanity. And mm -hmm. there are people out there like that. This could have happened to anyone because you were home. Yeah. And just that, that, that line sort of sends a chill up my spine every time I How hear it in the film. Yeah, for sure. And same thing at the end. It'll be easier next time because they're, hey, they're planning on doing it again. And it's... Oh, it's, it's just awful. It's awful, but it's so good in the context of this film. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, horror is, is really hard to kind of, a lot of times it's hard to kind of derive like significant meaning that's transcendent beyond the moment, but you know, you can always tell which horror films are meaningful because they're the ones that stick with you long after you watch it. Strangers has always stuck with me, and and I think it's because it, it does speak to, you know, the things that we've talked about, you know, about, you know, safety and about, like, human nature, and and when those kind of two elements meet, it's this, um, it's something that's both specific, it's a specific fear that we have, but it's transcendent in the way that, like, deep down, I think we all know that, like, there's no such thing as complete and utter safety and so um it's just a reminder it's something that that we watch it and we kind of have the sense of it's telling us that we shouldn't give so much i guess focus to safety if safety is never actually completely there you know there's a lot of things that are done in the name of safety uh that we would say are uh, unethical or uh, or bad and if we have a true understanding of what safety is and, and uh, what safety is available, then uh, those things are less likely to happen uh, in the name of safety. So I think there's, there's elements that transcend from this film and from films like it. But it's not always like I couldn't have told you, you know, those kind of things when I first watched it because uh, I was still kind of just reeling from the experience and kind of the initial impact of the film itself. But in the years since I've watched it, I've probably seen it five or six times. I've had a lot of time to kind of just think on it and to enjoy it. And and these are those kind of things that I think about when I when I watch that film. Yeah, and you're right. This is one of those movies that really does sort of stick with you. Mm -hmm. And I, I do appreciate that it's a horror film that exists beyond the moment. Yeah. It's definitely a very good example of that. Um, do you have any final thoughts on this movie? I would say that this is probably one of the, one of the most underrated horror films made. I think, uh, I don't know if you've gotten a chance to see his second film, Mockingbird. It's not quite as good as The Strangers, but it has enough of the same kind of elements. And he kind of plays with the found footage trope a little bit. And it's effective in a lot of ways. I, I just find Bertino to be an interesting director because... He's probably the first director I've come in contact with that made me pay attention to how setting plays into narrative. And I feel like if I didn't have a good sense of what this house and the strangers was set up as and the floor plan of it and um, how these characters relate to this place, I don't think it would have worked. I think I would have just felt like, 
this is just some reason to torture people and, you know, ultimately kill them in the end. But I think because the space is so well set up and the the characters are given enough backstory and they're placed in this this home and it feels like home because there's all these warm colors that are displayed in the film, that adds a certain extra element to the to the story. And I just feel like Bertino is good at that, and, I, and I, I'm looking forward to the next film, The Monster, because it looks like a good portion of it's taking place within a car. So, <laughs> once again, he's he's playing with very tight spaces and trying to draw a story out of those spaces. So, yeah, I just really appreciate his uh, t- the technical aspects. It's one of the first horror films I've seen where I actually paid attention to that stuff on a new level. So, I appreciate it for that. Watching it more in depth this time around for the podcast, I definitely am interested in exploring his other films. And so I'm looking forward to branching out and checking those out and seeing what is similar, what's different, and seeing sort of where Bertino goes as a filmmaker because he's still young. He's going to be around for a while. Yeah, he will be. My final thoughts in general, I mean, it's just one of my favorite horror movies. It's both because it was my first, but also because it's real, it's grounded, it's visceral. The, the camera angles and the usage, the sound editing, the, the general premise, and even the, the acting. I mean, Liv Tyler, Scott Speedman do a great job here. The, the stranger's presence is terrifying, and all of that make for a fantastic, suspenseful, and definitely truly scary horror film. For sure. Now, before we do close up, I do want to ask, have you heard anything about the sequel that's been rumored, that's been supposedly in production? What are your thoughts on that? You know, it's it's hard to tell. I've I actually looked some of that stuff up not too long ago to see what the you know kind of updates on it were. I mean, it's been in process for a long time, so we'll see if it actually actually you know actually gets made. But apparently, you know, if if, if the rumors are true, Liv Tyler will make an appearance of some sort. I don't know if it's going to be in flashback or or what. How how they're going to tie it into it. And from what I can tell, Bertino will not be directing, but I think he he will be producing it. Uh, which makes me think, uh, maybe I'm not sure. Like I feel like Bertino is the key to this film. Um, I think it's it's his vision and his kind of composition uh, that made this film work. I think if anyone else did it, the chances are a lot higher that it's going to turn into just your average kind of typical horror film. Yeah, and you know, at one point it did actually have a December 2016 release date. Mm-hmm. That's obviously not happening anymore. My my curiosity is what story they would tell because I'm looking here at some updates on it and apparently uh, Liv Tyler would return as the same character and the original Three Masked Villains would also be set to return. But then Tyler said she'd only have a minor role. So I, I'm just curious if this does come into fruition what kind of story would they tell? Would it be some sort of continuation? Would it just be the same thing happening in a different place with different people? Interesting. Yeah. It's just a, it's, it's an interesting notion because it's not the typical film you'd expect a sequel to. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where it's almost one of those films where, you know, if you're going to do a sequel, you almost need to tease a little bit more backstory for the masked villains without giving too much away. And so that means like kind of, widening and broadening the world of the film and that's very hard to do effectively many sequels have tried and and most of them have failed so yeah i, I mean i i would i would give it a shot me too yeah you know, I'm, I'm always down for for a sequel to this movie but 
I've just got a lot of hesitation going into it. <laughs> right. We'd definitely be skeptical. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, any other final thoughts on The Strangers? Yeah, I just want to tell everybody that if you haven't given it a shot, go see it. If you're concerned that, or if you've heard people uh, kind of diss it, give it a shot and, and, and have your own take on it. Because I think you might be pleasant, pleasantly surprised. Right. And like I said, this isn't a gore fest. There is very little of this film that is actual like violence. A lot of it's just psychological terrorizing. Yep. And I think that's what makes it so interesting to me. Mm. And so if you're worried about the gore aspect of it, there really isn't any of it to speak of. The the violence, the main violence happens in like the last five minutes of the film, aside from the gunshot that we mentioned about halfway through. Yeah. And so And a lot of that is implied too. <laughs> right. So. Right. So definitely don't let that be something that scares you off. This is just a good, well-paced psychological thriller. Yes, I agree. And with that, that is the end of the official 12th episode of Cinescope. Thank you so much for being here to talk about this with me, Blake. Yes, thanks, Chad, for having me. Contact for the, the podcast can be found at facebook.com slash Podcast and at Pod on Twitter. Remember to rate and review on iTunes. Email feedback and ideas to thecinescopepodcast at gmail.com. And hey, if you're interested in co-hosting like Blake is, he responded to a sort of want ad I posted on Facebook and Twitter. <laughs> hey, who's interested in talking about The Strangers? And he responded. But if you have a film that maybe you'd like to talk about that I haven't thought of, I'd be glad to hear about it and have you on the show to talk about it. And again, don't forget about the October 2016 giveaway. So we've got a couple more weeks left. Leave a review to be entered to win a free copy of any movie talked about on the podcast through October in any format. So that is digital, DVD, or Blu-ray. Additionally, if you take a picture of your review, if you post it on social media, make sure to tag me or the podcast and you get a bonus second entry. Like I said, this lasts all the way through October. The winner will be announced on episode 14, which will release November 3rd. So make sure to take part in that for a chance at a free movie. Now, Blake, where can people find you online? So the best place to find me is on Twitter at Sacred Letdown or at Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash Blake, I call your C-O-L-L-I-E-R. And then you've got my personal website where all the links to everything I've written for Mockingbird, Real World Theology, and all the other places I've written for is at Blake, I call your dot com right and on there you have this lengthy write-up on the strangers right yes it's a fun one to write it was funny because i posted hey who who likes the strangers out there just asking no reason and uh somebody linked you and then you responded and you sent me this article and i scrolled down and it's like wow this is long i'm not going to read it now but obviously <laughs> this guy wants to talk about this movie and so i'm looking forward to going back and reading that a little bit awesome the best place to find me is on Twitter as well, at Chadadada, that is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A, and on Facebook.com slash Chad.Hopkins. All the show notes, all the contact information, all the giveaway details can be found at thecinescopepodcast.com. And that is all for this week. Thank you once again, Blake. It's been awesome. For sure. Thank you. And maybe we'll have you on to talk about maybe your favorite horror film, whatever that might be in the future. That'd be awesome. Definitely. Thank you, everyone, for listening to episode 12. I'm Chad Hopkins, this was Cinescope, and we'll be back next week with spooky episode 13. Have fun and celebrate movies. Mm-hmm.